Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Within 10 days after Donald Trump's election win, there were 900 reports of intimidation and harassment across the U.S. That's according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. And in Connecticut, there was no exception. In New Haven, swastikas were found spray-painted recently in the athletic complex of Wilbercross High School. And across the state, there have been reports of verbal harassment and bullying. Joining us now to talk about these incidents both before and after the election is Deidre Daly, Connecticut's U.S. attorney. Welcome to where we live. Thank you. It's great to be here. Now, ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday, you wrote an op-ed entitled Stand Up to Hate. Tell us what prompted you to do that. So as you say, there were a number of incidents between mid-October and the end of November. The swastika incident at Wilbur Cross. There were also swastikas found at a house and on a car in Danbury. There was a video of a bonfire showing two individuals riding a motorcycle around the bonfire dressed in what appeared to be KKK garb. And there have been some arrests. The Meriden police arrested two men who assaulted a man who was holding a Trump sign. And at the Bradley Airport, two men uh, were arrested for verbally harassing a Jewish man. So, And we've also heard a number of other anecdotal incidents, as you mentioned. So there was a real concern that there was a potential for an uptick in hate crimes, and we wanted to get the message out that if you see these incidents, please report them, and we will investigate them. When we talk about hate crimes, remind us what that means. So the the critical element in a hate crime is that you have uh, a criminal act of some kind, whether it's uh, harassment or assault, and accompanied with that is evidence that the assault or the statements were made based on uh, a discriminatory intent. intent. In other words, uh, it occurred because of a racial, religious, or other motive. Across the country, it appears that these incidents are going up by 6% between 2014 and 2015. The data here in Connecticut is that we've had um, these incidents go down just over that two-year period. Again, we don't know about 2016. But the majority of the bias incidents in Connecticut that have been reported in both those years were incidents focused on race. In your op-ed, you included information from an FBI report showing a 67 percent increase in hate crimes committed against Muslim Americans, also crimes against Jewish people, African Americans, LGBT. TQ individuals. Um, so there is, it's, it's definitely alarming when you, when you see that data and you hear these stories. I agree. So that data, that 67% particularly focused on the Arab Muslim Sikh community is particularly disturbing. Um, it is, just to be clear, the data is 2004 to 2015 because we don't yet have the most recent data, but absolutely that's very concerning and another reason why, which prompted me to write the op-ed piece. It's important to talk about the fact that that was data, like you said, that came over several years because I think people, they want to believe that this kind of behavior and action has just been, it's just popped up, but it just, it's been increasing. That's correct. Um, uh, so again, in Connecticut, 
we don't yet have 2016, but it appears over the last month or six weeks, there appear to be these ad hoc incidents that are concerning. Now, we don't know if there are actually more incidents or maybe just people are more sensitive to the incidents and are reporting them. But either way, the message that we want to get out there is you have to stand up to hate. And if you see an incident, report it, try to document it in some way and we will investigate it. Either the local authorities will or, if appropriate, the federal authorities will. Is it hard to, um, you know, convince people that they should report when they feel intimidated or harassed? Is that why it's so hard to track this kind of behavior? Absolutely. That's a real concern, and we're sure that there are incidents out there that are not reported. Uh, We just had a meeting with a group of Arab Muslim Sikh leaders, and one of them was talking about how his child, his daughter, was being bullied in school, and both he and she were reluctant to report it. And I strongly encouraged him to encourage her to do so, because if the school administrations or the legal authorities aren't aware of these incidents, there's really nothing we can do. And even if you don't think the incident rises to the level of criminal activity, it's still relevant to report it to the police department or the FBI, because then if there is a subsequent incident, the evidence of the prior incident may be highly relevant. So if something like this happens, the first step is to con- someone should contact their local police department. Exactly. And if they have any concerns, they can also contact the FBI. But I think in the first instance, always best to call your local police department. And we've done a lot of training with police departments on anti-bias training as well as cultural competency. Over the last year, I think we've done training for over 800 officers at five different departments. So I think there's a real sensitivity within the police communities in Connecticut that they want to be aware of these incidents and they want to know how to handle them. How do you think communities around our state um, should be responding um, to these, you know, whether they're anecdotes or hard stats once we find out what what has happened in in 2016? The reason I ask is, you know, in your um, op-ed, you reference this video that um, uh, was sent around of of a a rally on East Windsor, it was found, um, where an individual dressed up in a KKK garb. And people were really upset in that community. And there was, at first, um, you know, people were dismissing it as, well, those were, those were just young kids. They didn't know what they were doing. It just seems like we, we tend to want to give people the benefit of the doubt uh, when they do something that it sim- symbolizes hate or whether they say something that's hurtful. I mean, what should be the message? So I think the message is, you're right, that incident might be kids. Um, but the point is it's still highly inappropriate. And people should not be doing that. And people are really hurt uh, by this kind of behavior. They're intimidated. I just was at my cleaners this morning, and he said um, he's, he's of Spanish descent. And he said that in the last couple of months, he's felt more discrimination than in the 22 years he's lived in America. And I think we very much believe that you know, our diversity is our strength um, and that it's so important that people be tolerant and have cultural understanding. So I think that the number of people that are doing this are a very, very small minority of residents in Connecticut or throughout the country. But I think it's very important that we stand up against those people and make it clear to them that that's not appropriate and it's hateful and very hurtful conduct. And in fact, it may even be criminal. 
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. I'm speaking with Connecticut's U.S. Attorney Deidre Daly. Uh, before Thanksgiving, she penned an op-ed to, um, to tell our community to stand up to hate. Um, and you mentioned, uh, Attorney Daly, that um, you know there's collaboration with local police departments. Um, what should be the message in our schools? Um, I was reading a report from the Southern Poverty Law Center that uh, wrote that schools, K through 12 settings and colleges, have been the most common venues for these hate incidents. Right, and we have heard that as well, and we've done um, a bit of, with CHRO, quite a bit of anti-bullying training in schools and at mosques, and I think the message is very much the same, that if, if children are being bullied in any way, there has to be a clear and strong response from the leadership, the administration, and the faculty in the school. We recently had a local high school contact us for just this reason. They were seeing incidents that concerned them. And so we're going to go and give a presentation to the faculty about hate crimes and civil rights laws. And we're trying to have a real open and active dialogue with school administrations. So if they have any questions about those issues, we're happy to come and speak to them because I think these things really have to be nipped in the bud. I did have one positive story I wanted to mention, which involved uh, a shooting that occurred at a Meriden mosque about a year ago. A former Marine shot four uh, bullets with a high-powered rifle into his neighboring mosque. He was prosecuted to plead guilty to a hate crime. And there was then this extraordinary act of reconciliation between the mosque and the shooter, the defendant. And um, they actually forgave him. He, he asked for their forgiveness in a very genuine and sincere way, and they've developed a real active partnership standing up against hate. So there are lots of opportunity for positive collaboration and communication on this subject. Hmm. Dieter Daly is Connecticut's U.S. attorney. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Coming up, we'll continue this conversation about incidents of hate and intimidation that appear to be increasing across our nation. We'll speak with some community members and a school leader, and we want to hear from you, too. The number, 860-275-7266. You can email where we live at wmpr.org, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. U.S. Attorney Deidre Daly's letter urging local residents to stand up to hate caught our attention, and we wanted to ask local community members and you listening, what is behind an increase in intolerance and hate speech in our nation? Can we attribute this all to the divisive rhetoric heard on the presidential campaign trail? And when hate crimes or incidents of harassment or intimidation happen, how should we respond? Joining me now to consider these questions are three guests. First, I want to welcome Manji Dawadi, Executive Director of the Connecticut Chapter of the Council of American Islamic Relations, or CARE. Uh, Manji is joining me in studio. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you for having me. So tell us about the organization CARE. Um, CARE is, is a national organization, and we're lucky enough to have a chapter here in Connecticut. Um, CARE was established back in 1994. Um, as a response to some of the um, increased um, awareness and increased concern by the community about some of the hate crimes and hate incidents that um, some of the, our members of the community started to uh, 
experience. And so um, a group of people just uh, got together and uh, established this organization, try to monitor these, these trends and try to tackle them case by case. Uh, we grew up now to a, about 30 chapters around the country. Uh, we have more than uh, close to 30 full-time lawyers working for the organization. Um, and we have a chapter here in Connecticut. It's been in existence since 2004. Um, and uh, we try our best to serve our community and uh, uh, you know, present the Muslim community in, in, a, in a better light, especially in terms of uh, the narrative and the media and uh, talking about us representing ourselves uh, rather than letting other people define who we are. So tell us about the trends that CARE is seeing both here in Connecticut and nationwide. Um, well, I mean, let's, let's talk about the, the, you know, the, the latest trend, which is uh, we always notice uh, from previous experience that there is always a spike in, uh, in hate incidents and some hate crimes around the election season, unfortunately, uh, due to the rhetoric uh, that some of the politicians uh, choose to, to engage in. And uh, that turns out to be um, very concerning for us. Um, we specifically, we have noticed... Uh, especially during the last campaign, uh, it was very, very uh, nasty rhetoric that was targeting the Muslim community specifically, not just by, um, you know, smear, uh, smear us as a whole uh, and, and lumping us as with, with some of the, especially around terrorist um, threats and terrorist uh, incidents, but also sp- specific uh, policies that were advocated. Um, you know, the, the infamous one was the, uh, was the declaration by... Uh, than the candidate for the presidency and now is the elect president-elect Trump to uh, ban all Muslims and to shut down all the immigration of all Muslims to the United States just because they're Muslims. Uh, And so we have noticed uh, attacks on houses of worship have increased, uh, hate crimes, hate hate incidents have increased. Uh, The FBI actually came up with numbers in 2015. They said Overall, there is an increase in in hate crimes against minorities, but specifically against Muslims, there is a 67% increase. Mm -hmm. Um, That is very concerning for us. That's alarming, and we absolutely need to tackle it. Mm -hmm. That's something we discussed with U.S. Attorney Deidre Daly in the last segment. Um, 67% increase of hate crimes targeting Arab, Muslim, and Sikh community members from 2004 all the way to 2015. And that really um, counters this narrative that it's that this stuff is just popping up because of the election and now uh, post-election. I mean, there has been an increase in this country. And so in that sense, um, Monji, I mean, Muslim, the Muslims here living in, in Connecticut, I mean, what are they experiencing? Um, the conversations in schools and right, right. Um, well, I mean, the, the, speaking about this this trend, I mean, the 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 irony and the interesting thing and the alarming thing is that we we have noticed there is an increase on these incidents around and after right after nine eleven. Understandably so, the the nation was in shock. A lot of people were confused. They don't know what's happening. Uh, a lot of people were afraid. Uh, but we we've seen that that trend kind of went down in numbers, and and the community you know started. You know, making headways, we 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 opened our mosques. We started outreaching for people. Many organizations are doing a great job outreaching. Also, the government, some other civil society, were doing this, and we noticed there is a decline. But now, numbers started going up again. I mean, since two thousand and four, things are started to to um, uh, a lot of these hate crimes start to increase. I mean, our here in Connecticut, we 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 
try to think positive and say that we are in a state where um, it's more tolerant than other places. Uh, we don't see the kind of uh, attack, especially from leaders of the community, uh, political leaders. Uh, in By and large, most of them stand by us, stand by the community, talk about these incidents. Um, we try to outreach to our, our neighbors. We have great organizations around the, the state, CARE, the Muslim Coalition of Connecticut, other local mosques and, and organizations. They do a great job in outreaching. And I think um, if you look to Connecticut compared to other states, we are in a better shape. However, that doesn't mean there's not incidents of hate and crimes. That I mean, the, the latest one was the attack on the Meriden Mosque, on the Ahmadiyya Mosque, was shot with a rifle. Uh, and, and, and the person who perpetrated was convicted and, and sent to jail. Um, Right now, our biggest concern comes from families who complain about bullying in schools. There's several incidents of kids uh, either uh, being called terrorists, um, you know, made fun of, uh, little girls, their hijab, their headscarf that they wear on their head, they mm-hmm. pulled off. Uh, and so these incidents, uh, we've seen an increase uh, as of late. Uh, and obviously, I was talking to you before the show about the latest incident that we just had a report about yesterday. Uh, a very nasty, threatening letter was sent to one of the um, most prominent mosques that we have in Connecticut. It's been in existence for decades. And this letter is threatening uh, to do to the Muslims like they've done to the Jews in Germany during the Nazis. Um, and they they mention our president-elect by name, that he is the new sheriff in town, and this is what we're going to do. And this is ex- extremely concerning, and it puts us on notice that there is we cannot go about doing business as usual. There's got to be something to be changed, the way we look at these incidents, the way we tackle them, the way we report them. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In studio with me is Manji Dawadi, Executive Director of CARE in Connecticut. That's the Council for American Islamic Relations. Today we're talking about how our community should respond when there are incidences, instance, instances of, of intimidation and harassment based on, on race and gender. Um, what, where do we go from here? We're going to include some more community members in the discussion in just a couple of minutes. I do want to take a, a quick call. Uh, Kate is calling from Hartford. Kate, Kate, you're on where we live. Hi. Thanks for having me. And go ahead with your question or comment. Oh, my comment is, is that um, the day after uh, the election, my son was harassed in school. Um, we're Muslim. He's half Pakistani. And he went to school, and it wasn't actually an adult that did it. It was a security guard within the school that said that the reason he voted for Trump was to um, get people like him out of the country and make sure they they can't go to this school. <laughs> and he did come home and tell us, um, so we did report it to the staff. And the security guard, after their investigation, they did remove him from the school. But during the investigation, he was still in the school, which we found kind of nerve-wracking, and it did take a week. Um, and that's just my comment. And, and this is here in Hartford where it's very diverse, you know. Well, Kate, can I ask you, when you came forward with this to school administrators, I mean, um, it sounds like there was an investigation. Were you happy with the way um, this was approached? Um, we were happy with the outcome. The approach, not so much. Um, my husband had emailed um, the principal and vice principal, and... Um, the vice principal must have told the security guard, and the security guard pulled my son from the class to talk to him about it without an adult around. Mm. 
So we were very concerned about that. Um, you, you mean the, the security guard who made the comments pulled the, your, your son yes, out and same, talked to yes, him without yes. anybody else in there? Yep, he did. Mm. And we were very concerned about that. And we were told in the meeting, the fo- so that happened on, my husband emailed him on Thursday morning. It happened Thursday afternoon that, that he pulled him out of the class to talk to him about it, that he was just joking around and, you know, he was going to, he kind of threatened my son again saying that he was going to tell, I'm going to tell your father that you called me a bigot for saying that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that part of it, we were kind of, we were concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, part of me wanted to pull him out of the school while the investigation was going on, but we didn't. We just decided to just, you know let the investigation happen. Um, but the outcome was good. He was removed. We're not sure if he's still in the school system because they couldn't tell us. So he could be at another school. Is the, uh, Kate, this is Manji from Care Connecticut. Uh, first of all, have you reported this incident to anybody else other than the school? I did to the Poverty... Law Poverty uh, Center. Southern yeah. Poverty. Southern Poverty. Poverty. Yeah. yeah, Southern Poverty. That's good. it. Good. Um, I, I mean, definitely, we we would love to talk to you uh, about this incident because there's there's much more that the schools <clears throat> could and should have done in this case. Um, okay. Uh, if there is any other security guards, I'm sure there's other security guards who work in the school or the people who replace this person. Uh, what kind of training they provide to these security guards? Um, you you want to look at all of that and 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 try to remedy the, the the issue, not just specific to your son, but, I mean, that's the priority at, the, at that point, but also to look at the problem as a whole and and uh, and tackle it that way because uh, I'm sure the security guard felt comfortable telling your son that, you know, uh, ugly statement um, that that tells you maybe there's more to this than just a um, an isolated incident. And, and so, um, I mean, thank you for coming forward and, and, and talking about this because this is – this is one part of the problem. I mean, the, the, that we do not have enough incidents being reported. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think that this increase on 67% increase uh, actually is the, the tip of the iceberg. There is there's so many other communities where we know there is a big concentration of Muslims, and this is across the nation, that they did not report anything last year. Well, that we, we know there is something going on, but it's, it's uh, people don't feel comfortable reporting or they don't feel confident in the system that it will tackle this issue. They don't want to look like they are whining. These are Muslims and grateful, you know, whining about these incidents. And all of these we've heard from our communities. They come forward with an incident of hate or crime, but they don't want to press charges. They don't want to even talk about it uh, in the open. Well, I want to thank Kate for calling um, and letting us know about that incident. I want to bring into the conversation now, um, they're joining us from the studios at Yale University, Edith Johnson and Rabbi Jay Telrav, and he's from Temple Sinai in Stanford. Edith and Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be invited. Now, Edith, uh, you're the principal of Wilbur Cross High School in, in New Haven, and we invited you on the show because of the fact that um, recently um, there was a swastika that was spray-painted on the school's athletic complex on campus. Tell us about um, when that was found and how your school and your community had to address that. 
So it was actually in the concession stand um, at the football field. It was originally reported that it was inside the school and the locker rooms, but it was actually inside a room, um, the concession stand. So we don't really know. That could have happened anywhere between probably Saturday late afternoon and the day that it was found Tuesday um, morning. None of our staff or students, um, it wasn't visible to anyone. Uh, we had a, an employee went in to get some get some equipment, and that's when it was discovered. And it was it was it was very unfortunate. Um, but like I told our staff and our students, we are not going to allow one person who wrote bad things on a wall scare us or make us change who we are because we try to be a, we are a very diverse school. We're about 58% Hispanic, 24% black, 16% white, and 2% Asian. We pull from every neighborhood in the city of New Haven, and we're also part of the Open Choice Program. So we pull from, we have students who come from other districts, um, and we have a large immigrant population, Hispanic population, Jewish population, and I think the beauty of Wilbur Cross is our diversity what makes us so great. We have students who come from very dire circumstances, students who live in the very expensive houses in East Rock and everything in between. And I think that's what makes us strong. Mm. Now, I don't know if you heard um, the previous caller. This is a, a parent uh, at a Hartford school um, where um, her child, uh, an adult in the school, said some some hurtful things. Um, there was an investigation. Eventually that school, um, that, I think that security guard was removed. But in an instance of this happening in the New Haven Public Schools, I mean, what is the process? And has it changed recently? Um, well, unfortunately, that was a very unfortunate um, incident. And we often, I've often recognized common sense isn't so common um, sometimes. And I'm glad that they did an investigation and that person was removed. I think sometimes uh, people forget we work with children and we tend to develop relationships with children. And um, unfortunately, from what I heard from that incident, that person who should have known better was comfortable enough to say something completely inappropriate um, to a child, and they should have been uh, removed. And I think, do those things happen, not just about um, the election? Do people say things inappropriately sometimes? And you have to train people and have to remember, um, you know, these are people's children, and I often tell my staff, um, if it's not okay for somebody to say it to your kid, it's not okay for you to say it to someone else's kid. Mm -hmm. And that's... uh, how I try to operate, even though I have great relationships with a lot of my students and say to them often, I wish I was your mom for like 30 seconds. Um, But, you know, those are conversations that we have to have in continued uh, training that you can't just say everything that comes to mind, even if you're joking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that's a conversation that I've had to have in in my 15 years in education um, and seven years as an administrator sometimes like, yeah, you may know that child, but that's not okay. You know, it's definitely not okay. And, you know, the consequences are um, what they are. And like the parents said, due to union issues and HR issues, the principal can't always say this is exactly what was done um, to that staff member. Now, can I ask you, uh, Principal Edith Johnson, again, of Wilbercross High School in New Haven, Connecticut, do you think students uh, feel comfortable if an adult in a school says something that is um, – that is harassing or intimidating, that they feel comfortable reporting it? I can say at my school, <laughs> um, in my my experience, they have. I think uh, the beauty of our school is that we, we are the largest high school 
So it is difficult. We have uh, 1,530 students the last time I looked. Um, so it's we run a little city. I think Wilbur Cross is... Uh, is very much a microcosm of New Haven as a whole. So I often have students who come to me who will share with me, you know, Johnson, I was on the bus and the bus driver gave me a dirty look or um, whatever it is if that they feel is inappropriate. And one of the things that the administration and the teachers and I do, we often tell the students, if you feel as though someone said something to you inappropriately, come and tell us, let the adults deal with it. Um, because that's what we're here for. And I don't always think the, you know, and, I, and I've and i said this often, I don't always think the grownups are right. I'm not always right. Um, I try to be 85% of the time, but I'm not perfect. Um, but we'll deal with those things. And we I often talk to our students about there's nothing that can't be solved without a conversation. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, people talk and they may not understand where you come from or your background and how, what they say genuinely impacts you. We have a large immigrant population. So after the election, um, my administrative team and I, we were all quite shocked with the results. We're on text message and email at five thirty, six o'clock in the morning saying, okay, what's the plan of action to support our students who come in? Mm-hmm. And like any high school, we had kids who came in who were completely devastated and shocked, some kids who it didn't phase them, some kids who said inappropriate things that we nipped in the bud as soon as they walked into the door and spoke about tolerance and sensitivity. We also tried to provide the teachers with some resources on what to say. And the other piece that was a challenge is that you, we also had staff members who felt the hurt and the fear of what the election results came in. So we had teachers who we had to support who they didn't even know what to say to the students. You know, so how you know so it was it was a very challenging time, but we try to put things in place and said to all of our students, you know, this just like New Haven is a sanctuary city, this is our school. This is always going to be a safe place for everyone. And can I ask, you know, we you know, while we talk about how people who felt threatened by um, campaign rhetoric are feeling, and, and now that we have a uh, president-elect who did make some hurtful comments during the campaign trail, said a lot of things that upset people. You know, there's also another side who support um, Donald Trump and also feel alienated. And so in that sense, um, how um, for, for students or staff who feel like they are being targeted because of who they support, how do you approach that? Well, the, well, that's an interesting question because we. I remember I did have some one student in particular who came to me and said, Mrs. Johnson, such and such teacher voted for Trump. That person's a racist. And, and I said, that's not true. I said, you know, we can't – we have to look at democracy as a whole and we can't say it's okay for me to feel the way I feel and express it, but it's not okay for another person to do the same. Um, So that's when we talk about tolerance. That's when we talk about, well, you know, let's have a conversation of why that is. Um, And and it's a challenge. It it definitely is a challenge. We don't have always the right thing to say. We talk about tolerance. We talk about why tolerance is important, what we all bring to our school that makes our school great, and not just one type of student, type of teacher um, makes our our school great. It's because we are such a diverse community of all different types of religion, um, ethnic groups, racial groups, socioeconomic groups, and that's what makes us great. And those are the things that we need to focus on um, more so than the things that divide us and tear us apart. Mm. 
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. Today we're focusing on, um, it's an interesting time, an interesting climate in our country. Uh, populations that feel like they're being targeted. Um, there have been an increase in hate, intimidation, and crimes um, in our country. And we want to hear from the community about uh, what they're seeing and how they're feeling um, as we uh, move into new territory. And some people want to be able to talk about this. And so we're doing this show today because of that. And that number is 860-275-7266. I wanted now to um, ask uh, Rabbi Jay Talrav to join us. Again, he's joining us from the studios of Yale University in New Haven. Um, You know, like the Muslim community, Rabbi Jay, uh, the Jewish community has been targeted by hate crimes in recent months. Um, You know, we read about a synagogue in Ridgefield receiving mail with pictures of Nazis and swastikas. That's according to the U.S. attorney for Connecticut, Deidre Daly. Um, What has been the feeling in the Jewish community where you live, Rabbi? Thanks, Lucy. The uh, the feeling is one of growing concern. Uh, naturally, the um, the, the <laughs> a teaching that I've shared from time to time is from uh, from the American author Jonathan Safran Foyer, who says that uh, the Jew is born with six senses, and the the sixth sense is one of memory. So when we uh, when we are pricked by a pin, uh, he says we feel every other pin that has pricked our our families throughout history. Uh, and that's a, that's a, an ingrained sense. I think that's actually not, of course, uh, specific to the Jewish community. But when we're uh, when we're reading about these things happening, even if they're not happening in my town of Stamford, uh, it almost doesn't matter how close or distant they are geographically. What they're doing for us is they're bringing up memory that is uh, very, very deeply ingrained. Uh, not just to you know to the memory of our ancestors in in Nazi Germany, uh, but to uh, to a long history of feeling like the other. Uh, the fact that we are uh, living a fairly comfortable life here in America, having uh, having pulled ourselves through the experience of the immigrant, doesn't diminish at all the fact that when when we're watching our Latino and Muslim and other immigrant uh, neighbors suffering at the at the hands of bullies, uh, the, the hands and the words and the sentiment of bullies, uh, it really doesn't diminish the fact that it strikes us very very deeply in our in our core. So when um, these incidents happen, I mean, how do you talk about them within your community? Well, uh, as we were talking about the, the the format of the show, it was not not simply the uh, the bias and hate incidents since the election, but th- those leading up to. And uh, as we saw the the country being strained in the run up to the election, uh, Yom Kippur and our high holidays fell right in that window. And on Yom Kippur, I took the opportunity to speak about the the nature of a cosmic war. Uh, it's a concept that was put out by um, a sociologist Mark Jurgensmeyer, who who helped us understand that cosmic war is a, uh, an idea that has served humanity's purposes very, very um, conveniently through history because it, it sets out the notion that um, there is an us and a them, that there is a right and a wrong, and of course we're always on the side of right, uh, and that um, it, if we're feeling uh, beaten down, it's because of what they've done to us. And I think that that, that narrative has been playing out uh, in, a, in an extreme way in a more open way in the last several months in our country. Uh, and so th- one aspect of this cosmic war phenomena is to dehumanize the other uh, because it allows you to say and perpetrate uh, uh, things against the other, which you normally couldn't do against another human being. Mm-hmm. And so I took the opportunity in Yom Kippur to uh, to 
acknowledge that there are some uh, some behaviors and some sentiment that are certainly being expressed which we cannot tolerate. But we also must resist the urge to dehumanize the other. Uh, that the the way that they're approaching their uh, their truth is um, is is upsetting. But that we can't call them animals for doing it. Uh, and you know the the teaching which is most uh, most helpful for me comes out of our our sacred text tradition and the Torah. No fewer than thirty six times does it tell us that uh, that we must uh, take care of, protect, and consider the rights and needs of the most vulnerable of society. So it's um, it's almost a call to action. It's an opportunity to um, to capitalize on the the hate and the bias that's coming out uh, to motivate ourselves towards the good and to uh, to feel energized to realize that our our work towards a sacred community is not nearly done. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. I wanted to take some calls now. Uh, Pat's been holding from New Haven. Pat, you're on the show. Hello? Hello, Pat. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead with your question Um, or comment. Well, I think the point that the rabbi just made is really important. Um, I live in New Haven, and uh, the weekend after the election, um, we went outside to go somewhere and saw a big red sign covering the entire door of a student household across the street. And there was a sign on there that talked about something about, you know, not tolerating fascists. But then it also said, kill a racist. And we were just absolutely horrified to see that. And we went over and talked to the students and said um, that more hate speech was not going to ultimately stop hate speech, that violence doesn't really, in our experience, um, stop violence. And we encouraged them to consider, uh, you know, bringing some training on campus from the nonviolence center in Connecticut and uh, just stated our value that, um, you know, love your neighbor, no exceptions, applies to everybody, including the perpetrators of hate speech. I think the story about how the Meriden Mosque uh, handled the incident, as described earlier on your program, mm-hmm. uh, illustrates uh, so beautifully what what needs to happen. But I think I think it is a time for stating in clear, simple terms values that um, that may, you know, resonate with things people have heard in other settings. Um, but love your neighbor is, I think, a principle that most major religious traditions uh, hold dear. And uh, you know, reminding people, no exceptions, even for people perpetrating hate speech. Um, Responding to hate speech with more violent speech isn't really likely to go anywhere but toward more violence. Thank you. Well, thank you, Pat, for sharing that story with us. I want to turn back to Manji Dawoodi uh, from uh, CARE, Connecticut. Um, she referenced uh, what happened um, in Meriden. Again, that mosque was uh, shot. They knew who did it. But tell us about the process, um, what happened with that community. It, it's an amazing story, and, and um, I, I have to give credit to the leadership of that organization. And uh, they practice what they preach, the Ahmadiyya Mosque in Meriden, 
Um, they, upon the incident, when they were, the community was shocked to come in the morning and find these bullet holes, that one of the bullets actually pierced three walls and landed in the parking lot. So you know that if there's anyone who, who would be there standing, will probably be killed. Um, yet they, they took a different route of how to address this. At that time, as a civil rights organization concerned about the safety of our community, we came out with a statement, a very strong statement, saying that we want whoever the perpetrator to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Um, They actually went to court to plead with the judge not to give him any time in prison. Uh, They welcomed him in their congregation. Uh, He took steps to to go see them, worship with them, and talk to them. And it was a whole process of... uh, of trying to understand each other, trying to heal from this process and move forward, they took the bigger picture, um, looking at, you know, he's our neighbor. Uh, you know, what is, what's the point of him shooting at us and then ending up in jail and we continue not talking to each other? That is not the message we want to send. And they took a different route and I have to salute them for that and applaud them. And I, and I love Pat, her, her saying, saying, love your neighbor, no exception. I mean, that's a great saying. Um, however, I think we, we, we need to be mindful of um, what the, our principal from, from New Haven was talking about, is creating safe spaces for kids and adults to come forward and talk about these incidents. Uh, I remember one time we had a, a youth group from, from our Islamic Center in New London, and we visited another congregation and, and to visit with their youth group, and we put them in a room just separate without any adults and, and let them talk about their experiences and I've heard the stories I've heard coming out of the youth that I thought I know. One of them was my own daughter talking about some bullying incidents in her school. She would not even talk to me about it. When I asked her later, I said, why, why haven't you mentioned this to me? She said, well, you, you work for CARE, so you're going to make a big deal out of it, and, and you're going to go to the principal. And st- so, so we still need to, as I said, create these safe spaces for our kids to come and speak their mind and talk about these incidents you'll be surprised uh, about the stories you heard. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We need to take a quick break. If you're holding with a call, a comment, or question, we ask that you keep holding. We'll get to your calls. Uh, I'm speaking with Manji Dawodi, Executive Director of the Connecticut Chapter of the Council for American Islamic Relations. Also, Edith Johnson, Principal of Wilbercross High School in New Haven, and Rabbi Telrav from the Temple Sinai in Stanford. We're talking today about ways local communities should respond and counter acts of intimidation and harassment based on race, ethnicity, and gender. And we want to hear from you, too. 860-275-7266. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up tomorrow, they're moms and mentors, mathematicians and microbiologists. On the next Where We Live, Women in STEM, we'll hear from a team of women scientists and consider what's being done to foster the next wave of female STEM leaders. That's coming up tomorrow. And we know many of you tune in to Where We Live on your car radio or stream us live at WMPR.org. You can also listen to us, subscribe to Where We Live on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any podcast app. Now, today we're talking about instances of hate and, and intimidation that are popping up in our communities, not just here in Connecticut, across this country. In studio with me is Manji Dawadi, Executive Director of CARE Connecticut, and joining us from Yale Studios, Edith Johnson, Principal of Wilbercross High School in New Haven, and Rabbi Jay Telrab, who's a rabbi at Temple Sinai in Stamford, Connecticut. I want to take your calls now. Uh, Rosalind's been holding from Portland. Rosalind, you're on the show. Yes, Hello. 
Uh, during the time, some years back, um, when it was reported all over the media that Imus um, made the comment about nappy-headed whores, um, I had was walking, I guess the very next day I, had, I was walking out the library <clears throat> here in Portland uh, to my car. There was a, um, I'm African-American. Uh, there were a group of uh, white teenagers that were nearby. One of them piped up and said um, something about nappy-headed whores. Um, and he did not exactly say it in, I mean, um, pronouncing it the whole way. Um, but I just simply calmly went to my car, didn't look in their direction, sat in the driver's seat. Um, I happened to glance back quickly. One of them looked back at me, and I just started the engine. And it occurred to me I, I could have called the police. I was in a state of shock by then. And how do you, that was several years ago. I mean, do you feel yeah. like um, if that happened again to you now that you would know what to do? Yeah, I believe I would call the police right away. Mm. Although I don't have, I wouldn't, well, I think it's probably a good idea. I, I would put it into my cell phone, um, their local number. Uh, I think I would do that. Mm. Well, Rosalind, thank you for sharing your story. I want to take another call. Art's calling from Windsor. Art, you're on the show. Okay. You know, I think that you know, what's going on lately is mostly media-driven. I mean, as I look at, at the situation as it stands, I, I see, like, the comments Trump made. He, he started his campaign with something like uh, they're sending their illegals or something across the border, and then at the end he said, I'm sure there are good people. And essentially what he was saying is we need to control our immigration and make sure that people who are appropriate to come into the country, come in the country. And then now it's post-election and there's all this angst going on, and the ideas are foment this kind of discontent to hurt him politically. And you've got people like there was a guy in Philadelphia, I think his last name was Tucker, who allegedly wrote Trump and swastikas all over Philadelphia on store windows and cars and things. And he's a black guy who I guess supported Ms. Clinton, and he just wanted to, you know, foment this kind of discontent and go with the whole thing. I think you're promoting, I mean, even our, like the discussion we're having right now, we're promoting this kind of, you know, inappropriate behavior. And you've got like President Obama talking to Howard University and saying, you know, be confident in your blackness. It's not about being black or white. It's about being a person. Mm -hmm doing your job and being left alone to live your life. And what we're doing here is just, it's hurtful. I mean, they called, uh, what's his name, Bannon, Steve Bannon? They called him, the Anti-Defamation League had to re withdraw a claim that they that people were calling him racist, and the Anti-Defamation League was saying, oh, yeah, we agree. And then they were given evidence of all the pro-Israeli articles he'd written, and they're like, oh, we're sorry, we withdraw that. I mean, all right, it's, Art, it's we're, just ridiculous. Well, thank you for your comment. I'm going to have our guests respond. Uh, Art thinks that the media is um, making this worse, and we're promoting um, um, the, this activity because we're talking about it. Manji, you, you first. Right. I mean, this is very unfortunate that, that we, we feel that, uh, you know, 67% increase in hate crimes, uh, it does not warrant a discussion about this, that we should leave it alone, and this is just a hype. 
Unfortunately, when this gentleman in Meriden decided to shoot at this mosque, it was real bullets that pierced real walls uh, and, and threatened the whole community. The letter that I was talking about, that, that vile and speaking nasty, and it opens up with saying, the, you know, the, the children of Satan. This is addressing a whole community. The, the guest feels that we, or the callers, feels like we should not be talking about this. Unfortunately, we should and we must. Mm. Um, I've heard the, the president throughout his entire campaign talking not just about Muslims, but, but immigrants and, and others and demeaning them, you know, from rally to rally. And people are chanting, you know, uh, build this wall or, 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 or other, you know, very hurtful chants. So, uh, but, but yet after he became a, a president-elect, he only said, we, I want to be president for everybody. And then he moved on. We haven't seen any tweets. We haven't seen any talk. When the FBI said there is an increase in hate crimes, he did not tweet about them. He did not tackle these issues. These are people who are attacking Muslims. Just recently, a few days ago, a woman was attacked in the subway in New York by three gentlemen, and they mentioned they are supporters of Trump. I mean, we're not making this up. This is evidence. Mm. Uh, the president goes on and appoints people in the White House and at the head of the National Security Advisor who is on tape calling Islam a cancer, calling Islam as a cult. And so all these issues uh, need to be addressed. This is not just rhetoric. This is not just media making this up. This is people uh, putting their foot in their mouth by, 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 by demeaning Muslims, by, by calling them every vile uh, noun out there. And this is when, when he appoints people at the head of these agencies, that is policy. That is what he's trying to, to tell us, Muslim, that he's not going back on his rhetoric, but he's moving forward, and we must talk about this. And it looks like we have run out of time, so I want to thank uh, Manji Dawadi, Executive Director of, of CARE Connecticut. Thank you for coming in. Also at, from Yale Studios, Edith Johnson, we appreciate your perspective, Principal of Wilbercross High School in New Haven. Thank you, Edith. Thank you. Also, Rabbi Jel Tavrav, Jay Talrav, rather, Rabbi at Temple Sinai in Stanford. Thank you so much, Rabbi Jay. I was pleased to be asked. Thank you. And this conversation should continue. We hope you go to our Facebook page at Where We Live, at Twitter. We may have another show about this as we continue to talk about not just uh, how we respond to when these incidents happen, but how we educate our children, our communities, to stand up to this kind of behavior. So I want to thank all of our callers for calling in. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.